Welcome to Bonding Time, the regular podcast of the Bond Dealers of America as the Washington, D.C.-based trade group for fixed income firms. Today, we begin the first in a series of podcasts on diversity, equity, and inclusion in financial services. And we're honored to speak with Leo Harmon of Mesero Financial. Leo is the chair of Mesero's Council on DE&I, while also being chief investment officer and portfolio manager of Mesero Equity Management. Mesero is headquartered in Chicago, is represented on the BDA board, and we're honored to be talking with them today about industry DE&I. Now on to bonding time. Welcome to the Bond Dealers of America's Bonding Time podcast series. We're thrilled to have Leo Harmon, Managing Director of the Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Council at Mesero. Leo is also the Chief Investment Officer and Portfolio Manager at Mesero Equity Management. And a more fulsome introduction was, was included earlier for both Leo and Mesero, but we're thrilled to have him here to talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion in financial services. So welcome, Leo. Hey, Mike, thank you for having me here today. Appreciate it. So this is, you know, a um, a really important topic for us at the Trade Association, as it is, I know, for you and team at Mesro, for others in the business. We're happy to talk about broad issues as well as more, some more granular issues related to this in the industry and at, uh, at broker-dealers and banks. But to start off, uh, just the concepts of diversity, equity, and inclusion. If somebody asked me, what does that mean? I could probably come up with something, but... I'd love for you to tell us what does that mean, the concepts of DE&I? Yeah, I think we all have a pretty good idea of what diversity means. Generally speaking, just a, a mixture of people or a group of people. I think what people sometimes confuse is that diversity is not just racial or gender. It can be background. It can be ethnicity. It can be lots of different types of things that make up a, a workforce. I think one of the things we don't want to do is is say this is a diverse candidate. You know, candidates are unique. Uh, workforces and groups of people are diverse, and so those are just concepts that you know we talk about as we deal with numbers and and mixtures of numbers within organizations. The bigger aspects of that are, and sometimes less understood, are inclusion and equity. So inclusion, you know, as at least as we look at it and define it is more about leveraging those differences and creating value for um, those people that have um, diverse backgrounds within your organization. You know, I, I liken it to it, it being the difference between being asked to the dance and being asked to dance. And so if you're just there um, and you're just happy to be there, you're not necessarily being included in the in the process. So as a sports fan, I like to think about the, when you hear to you say, well, we're just happy to be here. You know, nobody's just happy to be here. We want to contribute. We want to win. We want to be part of the team and we want to help create outcomes. And what you find that happens in this, the sports analogy is if you're happy to be there, you usually lose. Uh, exactly. So you have to have higher <laughs> aspirations. So I get it. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> so, so you want to be able to participate and that helps your team um, hopefully to thrive. You've already hit on it a little bit, but diversity as the starting point, it doesn't just start with the goal of being having a diverse workforce. I know that, I, I guess that's, uh, you tell me if that's the starting point, but I think, or a starting point, but there's more to, as you're 
you know, as you're indicating, there's more to it than that. Yeah. And, and, and we've, he- we've heard a lot of stories from different companies about, well, we've increased our numbers, but we don't have any real outcomes. And so the numbers themselves are good, but the outcomes are more important. And you need the concepts of inclusion and as importantly, equity in, in order to get better and higher desired outcomes. So we think about you know, all of these folks that you've brought to the table and now that you're including in the process. Well, they can't grow, they can't contribute, they can't develop unless you create accesses to opportunities for those folks. And so without access to opportunities, there's no development. And that's where the equity piece comes in. You know, equity is, you know, providing the tools, providing the opportunities, having a level of fairness and transparency so that the folks who you've recruited and now have included now have an opportunity to really thrive and help your organization. And so I liken it to, you know, you got three kids, you know, one is a six foot five football player, you know, one is an 11 year old and one is a toddler and, you know, you have 15 chicken nuggets, you know, equality means you give each one of them five chicken nuggets. Equity means you give them what they need. So my my high school football player is going to need more chicken nuggets than my middle schooler then my and my toddler doesn't need any chicken nuggets because they don't eat food. And so the, the concept is providing people with the tools that are necessary in order for them to be successful. Um, the other piece of that is providing them access. So through mentorships or partnerships, you want to be able to have access to those ideas. So if, if to be promoted, everyone has to belong to the same club that the boss belongs to, but that club doesn't allow certain people to get in then those people will never be promoted. And so you don't necessarily have equal access to opportunity if that's the case. That's a great description of the, I was going to ask you that, you know, the difference, I used to refer to DEI as, as diversity, equality, and inclusion. So thanks for explaining the difference between, you know, the equity, equity versus equality. That, may, that makes a lot of sense. I think, however, the six foot five football player is going to need more than 15 uh, nuggets. Let me tell you that. They, uh, in my experience with, uh, with boys is that that'll go by in about 30 seconds. So they, uh, they need exactly, but that, that's a great, that's a great description though. The other issue is say, uh, you know, some folks view this as a, uh, as being a, a check the box quota system. And so when a firm is being deliberate, being intentional about focusing on diversity, equity, and inclusion, how do they either not cross that line to make it a pure quota system or think of it as a quota system or have other employees think of it as a quota? How, how do they balance that? Yeah, it, it's a great question because, you know, historically, we've always thought about these sort of things as being altruistic, right? You know, this is the right thing to do versus being the, the business thing to do. And so you know, historically, we've gone through concepts of affirmative action and and DNI, uh, and I think as you mentioned, sometimes can mean being deliberate and intentional in driving the process, not necessarily co- creating quotas and numbers for people. And so you've had this negative connotation developed over time because uh, sometimes people think if you're doing something affirmative, then you're removing opportunities away from other groups. What we talk a lot about is not necessarily removing opportunities, but expanding the pie, expanding and creating opportunities for our organization, um, being affirmative in the process, 
and the results will end up being what they are. But if you're affirmative in the process, if you're making a deliberate effort to increase your numbers, if you're widening your scope and your target market of potential candidates in your organization, eventually your organization will be more reflective of your community, of the folks and the clients that you're trying to serve, not necessarily based on a quota, uh, but just based on the opportunity to leverage the entire talent base that is available to you. Yeah, that that makes the expanding the pie makes a lot of sense. That's a great uh, analogy. Uh, diversity is a value add. It's we'll get into some numbers here in, in a second, but it's it's not just as you mentioned the right thing to do, the societal right thing to do, no doubt about that. But it's proven time and time again to be the profitable thing to do. That the more diverse and study after study displays this that the more diverse a a firm is, the more diverse client base they can attract and reach out to. And the more profitable, ultimately, that that firm ends up being. But um, I'm not sure that everybody connects that dot, you know, those dots right away, that it, that it does lead to more profitability. But I don't know if you could touch on that a little bit. You know, it, it kind of ties back to um, the, the previous question about, you know, what are you doing in and is this just an, an, an exercise and altruism? And what we've discovered a lot is, one is you, you have to somehow change attitudes around diversity and inclusion. I'm paraphrasing um, the uh, chairman of Merck, Ken Frazier. You know, he talked about when he, he knows when there's a diversity candidate being discussed, when he hears the three cues, he hears quotas, he hears quality standards, and he hears qualified. In, in the minds of some, somehow, if I'm making an effort to do this, then I'm either trying to meet a quota or is my firm going to still have the same quality standards or am I dealing with a group of folks that are actually qualified to do the job? And as you alluded to, what we've discovered through a lot of different studies is that firms that have uh, paid attention to aver- diversity and been very intentional in driving diversity and inclusion and equity through their organization have had better financial results or have at least better odds of having financial results than companies that have not. Right. And so not only is this the right thing to do from the standpoint of reflecting a better social commitment to equity and outcomes, um, but it's also the right thing to do from the perspective of leveraging your business to be more profitable and expanding that pie and creating more opportunities for your organization down the road. Right. Makes makes a ton of sense. So, you know, before we, I mentioned the numbers, before we dive into some of those numbers, I wondered if we could uh, talk about the Mesero program and uh, just, um, you know, where where and how did it begin? And, um, you know, how is it basically structured today? And then what have the consequences been for, for Mesero and within the community as well, but, but for Mesero in a profitable way or in a, in a more you know, uh, altruistic societal way? Yeah, I, th- I think Mesero has been a firm that is always focused on diversity, focused on being good citizens within the community, uh, focused on our clients and our uh, constituents uh, within the firm. I think the bigger problem is, is that, you know, as we started to look at numbers and, and effectiveness and execution, we didn't always live up from a number standpoint to what we were communicating. 
And and so we decided to to start working on this problem. Uh, part of the problem is, you know, we as a business have 13 or 14 different business units, and each of those business units operate independently. And not everyone is necessarily on the same page as it relates to diversity, equity, and and inclusion goals. So as we started to talk about this, we really tried to put a, a structure and a plan in place to deal with it. The killing of George Floyd really accelerated that process. Mm-hmm. And so it was something that was already in place, but it it drove home for us, at least, the need to address these broader social issues as an organization and to communicate to the world our ability to address our problems internally, um, but also help externally um, dealing with issues of equity and racial injustice and implicit bias. And so we decided to put together our uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion council for that purpose, really to create consistency across our organization to build a structure that we thought would be sustainable and helpful in creating processes and procedures um, that can be used throughout our organization to help us meet our goals. I think the biggest thing is, you know, we we sometimes pat ourselves on the back because we, you know, we're good people and, and we have good intent and, and and we think we're doing a good job. But sometimes you really have to break the process, you know, if you're doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different outcome, you're not going to get a different outcome. It's, it's the old, uh, old adage that that's the definition of insanity. And so what we wanted to do is to create a new process and create new procedures and understand what we were doing well, understand what we weren't doing well, and really evaluate you know, how we, we can improve not only our numbers, but our impact in the community that we serve and with um, the constituents and colleagues within our organization. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and it's my understanding also, uh, just from, from research, that it really has to come from the top. So the, the, the buy-in for the firm to be fully supportive of the DE&I initiative really has to be led by, started by, or, or you know, there has to be buy-in from, um, from the CEO of the firm, uh, leadership of the firm, the board of directors of the firm as well. I assume that's the case at Mesereau. Oh, absolutely. This initiative came from the top and really goes back to what we were talking about with inclusion. You know, we have this issue that we want to deal with that involves underrepresented communities here at Mesereau. And we as a board and as leadership want to tap our senior leaders who are part of that underrepresented community to create a council to help us move from point A to point B, to create uh, policies and processes that would uh, make us a better firm and make us more equitable and more inclusive. And so that push from the top gives all of these efforts credibility. You know, we laugh a lot. You know, no one listens to the human resource officer where they where they have a mandate. But if the CEO has a mandate and it goes through the human resource officer, everybody at the firm listens to that mandate. And, and so you do need that buy-in from the top. Mike, I would also say that the really important thing is, is that you have to have throughput through the middle. Mm-hmm. And so the top of the organization can push and push all they want to. But if the middle parts of your organization mm-hmm. aren't aligned mm-hmm. with all of those processes and procedures, 
nothing will ever get done and nothing will ever change. And so there's there's a huge layer between the top of the organization and the people who have to execute. Mm-hmm. And and in certain respects, you have to get buy-in throughout the firm in order to actually meet the goals. Otherwise, you get bottlenecks within that process. And so I think what our leadership has done has done a really good job of driving that that aspect home that we need you um, as senior managers and middle managers to really concentrate on um, driving better input so that we can get better outcomes um, as it relates to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I would just point folks to uh, the Mesro webpage and the page specifically within the Mesro site on diversity, equity, and inclusion is, is I told Leo earlier, is really impressive, maybe, you know, dare I say, unique among among regional middle market firms, but uh, I would encourage folks to go to this page and see the the programs focused on employee resource groups, connection programs for young professionals, as well as um, you know uh, partnerships that, that Mesro has with a variety of groups uh, advancing DEI through the not just the firm but through the uh, through the community. So so let me turn quickly to some activity in Washington in, in 2020. House Financial Services Chair uh, Maxine Waters. Uh, released a, a detailed report on diversity and inclusion at uh, the largest banks and financial institutions, either headquartered or with a large U.S. presence. Two quick findings. There doesn't appear to be, the first finding was, there doesn't appear to be much industry headway in DNI from 2015 to 2018. And second, the average exec, executive level senior diversity across banks is 81% white and 19% racial or ethnic minority. So the first kind of question is, do you think since 2018, has this improved throughout the business, whether it's Wall Street or or regional dealer? And is there a discernible difference in your mind between uh, the progress at at the bigger banks, the bigger firms, and the smaller firms? But generally, how has it improved since 2018? Yeah, I would say there there hasn't really been any discernible evidence that there's any improvement in, in those numbers. Um, I haven't found any evidence um, that would say that those numbers have gotten worse either. So it, it seems to be fairly steady state in, in, in what we're dealing with. And part of this is, you know, these are generational issues, right? You know, it, it may take 10 years for, you know, efforts that we're making today in diversity, equity, and inclusion to actually be reflected um, in middle managers and upper managers within within different organizations. And so, I'm pleased that a lot of organizations are putting themselves forward and making at at least outwardly an effort to drive diversity and inclusion uh, within their organizations. But the numbers themselves have 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 not yet improved. So Um, work work to be done. So work to be done. Yeah, lots of work to be done. You know, we look at, you know, some numbers here just locally from a group called the Financial Services Pipeline, and you can see uh, broadly organizations, particularly at the upper end of organizations, are still, and from a senior management standpoint, anywhere from 85 to 90% white. You see more participation at the entry level. That's a bit more reflective. But what we're seeing, and, and what's a little bit more discouraging, is that when we look at retention and we look at promotion, those numbers are are starting to uh, to fade a little bit, yeah. and so that's a little bit discouraging because I think we're we're doing a better job of creating entry points 
um, for traditionally underrepresented communities. Now we have to do a better job of retaining and promoting that talent within organizations. And part of that deals with that, that I and the E piece of DE&I, where you create environments where those, where those folks feel included, where they feel that their contributions are valued, and where they feel that there is fairness and transparency in how they're um, being judged and processed. Yeah, that 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 all makes sense. So definitely more work to be done. I'm glad you know we're uh, we and other groups are, are focusing on this more and more. The other issue we referenced earlier was profitability, and there seems to be no shortage of research demonstrating how a diverse workforce results in uh, higher firm performance and higher profits for the firm. Uh, again, some quick findings from the House Financial Services Committee report showed that companies in the top quartile for ethnic and cultural diversity on executive teams were 33% more likely to have industry-leading profitability. So the obvious question is, is, is this well-recognized by folks in the business? Do folks understand and appreciate this? If not, why not? And what are there hurdles there still? It seems like an obvious you know, check the box. This makes sense for us. Let's move forward on it. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's become more pervasive. I think more and more people are starting to see this. A lot of these studies are, you know, less than two years old, mm. where, you know, you're, to me, it, it's it, you're trying to create a justification for actually doing the right thing. So you should want to do this anyway. Yeah. But there is a, a profitable dynamic to this. And so as you talked about, um, even more recently, um, that number is something like 36%, where the difference in the likelihood of outperformance, you know, being in the first quartile versus the fourth quartile is 36% higher if you have an ethnically diverse workforce. It's 25% higher if you have more gender equality within your organization. I think what people miss out on is the fact that there's a, a penalty for not doing this. So you can say, well, you know, if I do this, I can be more profitable. But, you know, there's a penalty. You know, your likelihood of being in a bottom quartile of financial performance rises significantly the less diversity you have in your organization. And I'll use an old example from my business school days, the Chevy Nova. The Nova was a car that had, you know, as an uh, economy car, they had a, a level of success in the United States. And uh, somebody got the bright idea to, to start marketing this car in Mexico. So they build a marketing program. They build out uh, production facilities to, to, to ship this car to Mexico. In Spanish, Nova means no go. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> and so you can imagine trying to sell a car that means no go in Mexico. Can you imagine that if you had some level of diversity within that group making this decision, that there would be a person of, of Mexican descent or Latin descent who would say, hey, guys, or, and, and, and particularly yeah. would know Mexican yeah. culture yeah. that would say, you know, this probably isn't a good idea. Yeah. Um, we're going to lose our shirt on this on this particular project. And so it, it's an extreme example of how a lack of diversity can actually hurt your organization, cause you to make bad decisions, cause you to make catastrophic decisions 
in some cases, but understanding that having a, a not just a diversity of ethnicity, but a diversity of ideas, mm. a, a diversity of approaches to solve a particular problem or issue is always going to be helpful to an organization. If everyone in your organization comes from the same school and they think the same, they have the same or basically the same background, they've all lived in the same neighborhoods, your outcomes are going to be fairly um, homogeneous. Right, right. Limited. And, yeah. And, yeah. And, and very limited. And that may be successful. It may be unsuccessful. But, you know, every problem will be a nail and all you have is a hammer. <laughs> yeah. And even if successful, you have to ask uh, how much more successful could you have been, right, if you'd added some diversity to the mix, whether it's Absolutely. racial, gender, whatever. And uh, that that's uh, that's a great point. Before I ask you about you know how to how to kickstart a program, uh, the roles of colleges and universities in this process, the relationship between the industry, uh, the financial services industry, and colleges and universities. I know a lot of schools ha- work with very closely with universities uh, in a recruit you know recruitment initiatives, internship programs. But what's been the focus your experience specific to DE and I? When, you know, as, as a major part of that initiative, right, when a firm's working with the university. And then what's the university's kind of responsibility as well to help advance this within the, within the industry? Yeah, it, it's a great question because I, I do think this is sort of a two-way street where, you know, and I don't necessarily want to put the impetus on universities to act as a pipeline for folks into the financial services industry. I think we, as business folks and as practitioners, um, need to do a better job of of casting a wider net um, into these universities that can be more helpful. And so you know, I'll use Mesero as an example. You know, we've tried to create avenues into various HBCUs that we think will be helpful. We've also have tried to expand our contact base outside of sort of traditional top 10 universities top 20 universities so that we can expand the funnel. I'm of the concept that the top kids at every school are very good. The, you know, Harvard or, or Yale might have more top kids, but the top kid at, you know, William and Mary at Bradley University at the University of Illinois uh, at, at your local state school is going to be really a really, really good kid. And so I think we do ourselves a disservice as, a, as an industry when we recruit from the same pipelines, from the mm-hmm. same schools, and not reach out to broader institutions, to state schools, to smaller institutions, and pick off top kids that are there. Yeah. Um, I think part of this, too, is, is really communicating uh, a value proposition to, the, to those kids that you know, a career in financial services can be um, lucrative, beneficial, can enhance their their well-being and i think a lot of kids just don't know that someone like me i really didn't know about the industry i knew i wanted to be in finance you know i I was the kind of kid that would watch the news at night for the economic reports Uh, but i had no idea what avenue i wanted to take in order to um, be involved within the financial services industry and whereas you know kids that i went to school with you know, grandfathers or fathers or uncles or neighbors um, worked in financial services. 
And so they had a, a more natural path to at least pursuing those career opportunities um, than I did. And I think part of that is on, on the institutions themselves to communicate more broadly with um, colleges and universities so that more diverse, underrepresented communities know that these opportunities exist. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, beginning a, a DNI, you know, initiative within your firm, it's, uh, I think for a lot of firms that do not have a structured DE&I program, a council in the case of Mesro, it's uh, appears to be a real hurdle, right? A real challenge to launch. How do I launch that? What do I do? What's the first step to launch this initiative within my my firm? Any advice for firms out there that are launching a DEI initiative or planning to launch such an initiative of um, you know how to get started, steps to take, steps to avoid as they move in this direction? Yeah, I think the first thing always starts with self-assessment. You know, what's your goal? What are you trying to accomplish in doing this? You know, part of the reason that I even agreed to be a part of our DE&I council is I, is I thought that we had a chance to have an impact on our organization to create a goal. My granddad used to tell me all the time, never confuse activity with accomplishment. You know, so are you are you doing this just to check a box? Do you want to look diverse or do you actually want to be diverse? And if you want to be diverse, then you have to self-assess, you know, what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? And the things that I'm doing wrong, how can I improve? And that may take some outside help through um, consulting. Um, that may take some inside help through actually interviewing and talking to um, folks within your organization about how they feel about diversity, equity, inclusion with, within your company. There's a survey, I think it was um, by Boston Consulting Group that looked at um, perceptions of fairness among different communities within the organization. And they use white males as the baseline and then, you know, had different degrees of freedom from that. And every degree of freedom that you move away from being white and male there was less satisfaction mm. within organizations as it related to fairness and transparency. So is that a perceptual issue or is that an actual real dynamic and outcome that may be driving diversity out, out of your organization and impacting your results? So that's, that's the first thing that I would do. The second thing is, you know, how do you want to communicate this externally? Um, so at Mesero, we came up with a, a six-point plan or a six-point statement that we wanted to recommit to our external constituents, our desire and our objectives um, within diversity, equity, and, and inclusion. So now we're on the hook. We've told you that this is what we're going to do. Now you have an expectation of us as an organization as to how that's going to happen. We also communicated that internally through um, a DE&I policy statement. Um, where we've make it, made a commitment to our our clients and our constituents and our and, and, and our colleagues that you know we're going to implement these processes in order to get better desired outcomes. And so that would be the second thing. The third thing is I would make sure that whatever actions I'm taking within the organization align with what I'm doing um, with my customers, with my communities, and with my constituents. And so at Mesero, we've partnered with like-minded organizations, particularly in the areas of economic development um, and education and in broad-based community services. 
where we want to help service our community and align ourselves with um, those groups. At the same time, um, those groups are helping us because in some cases, particularly with some of our educational groups, they're actually creating pipelines of talent that we can import back into our organization and create not only opportunities for them, but they create income and, and, and drive profitability for us as well. And so it becomes more of a symbiotic relationship. I think the last thing is you have to have concrete incentives in place. You know, I, I, I laugh sometimes that, you know, I'll know that we're really serious about DNI when my best salesperson refuses to be involved in the program and I fire them because what I'm doing structurally as a corporation in addressing DEI is more important than that particular producer. Mm-hmm. And when organizations are taking this seriously, there is a proper incentive structure to reward um, and or punish people who are not helping the program to progress. Yeah. Yeah, no, that makes uh, that makes a lot of sense. And it, and it echoes, again, your point earlier about not only does it have to be driven from the top, but by the middle as well. And in and, and real honest buy-in from uh, the middle and everybody within within the firm. So, and before I ask you about final thoughts, my, my follow-up on what you just said as well is, you know, kind of a takeaway is just act. So the longer a firm sits around and twists their thumbs and tries to figure out the best program to put in place, they're, they're not acting. So, you know, one of my takeaways is just do, as I think you mentioned to me on a call previously, was just do anything. Just do anything to start moving the ball and you'll learn as you go and, and you'll build a, a better program as you go and it'll be more beneficial to everyone. But uh, don't sit around and talk about it for a year trying to figure it out. Just, just start moving. And, and you also want to include traditionally underrepresented folks in that process. Right. Now, you shouldn't place the extra burden on them you know, you have a problem and you're going to, you can't, you can't have necessarily the people who are afflicted by that problem being responsible for solving your problem, but you want to have buy-in and you want to have leadership uh, from groups of folks that have been traditionally underrepresented in your organization uh, to avoid missteps, to avoid yeah. uh, approaches in the market that may or may not be acceptable. And so that's part of the, the inclusion process is to have uh, particularly leadership among those groups um, involved in, in your plan of, of delivering both strategy and tactics to address uh, your issues with diversity, equity, and inclusion. So final thoughts, any, any, um, anything that we didn't discuss or any positives you want to highlight uh, regarding the industry and, and making advancements towards uh, you know, uh, DE&I? Or, or any any final thoughts at all that we didn't bring up? Yeah, I, I think the one thing that we 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 didn't really address is this whole concept of of implicit bias, and you know whether or not you know organizations that have you know so much inertia can actually overcome this with a meaningful effort. And I think you know when we look at all of these financial institutions, there there's a structural issue that has to be addressed and that each one of these organizations has to look within, you know, how have, has my decision-making processes historically um, had a disparate impact on the communities that I am now trying to, um, to serve, that I'm trying to be 
uh, more inclusive with that I'm trying to have more meaningful and equitable conversations. And it's always a touchy subject. These are always difficult conversations because no one wants to believe that, or at least most of us don't want to believe that this is something that we are doing intentionally. And most of us don't want to believe that we're bad people who have uh, bad intentions. And I think there's a lot of work and a lot of heavy lifting to do within a lot of these organizations uh, who see themselves as being altruistic and doing the right thing, but are sometimes um, reticent to have those conversations that are uh, much harder and much deeper in order to get to the core of the problem and actually change the structure um, of their organizations to be more inclusive. Right, right. So all makes uh, a ton of sense. So, you know, Leo Harmon, uh, chair of the, the DE&I Council at Mesero, uh, chief investment officer and portfolio manager of Mesero Equity Management. Thank you again very, very much for, for the time and information. We, we'd love to follow up soon. Uh, we'll follow this up with a series of uh, podcast discussions on this topic and including other speakers as well. And we'll, we'll, we'd love to have you, know, you join us again at some point on a very specific aspect of, of this issue. But um, again, thank you very much. Thank you, Mike, and thank the BDA for having me today. Thank you. Thank you very much.